wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck dude. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... And all my magnificent, you're gonna be mine all night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. What's up, and welcome in to a very special Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Also, the YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. We always have some great content on the YouTube page. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit that subscribe button. There might be interviews that you might have missed, and you can find them there on the YouTube page. My schedule has been crazy, crazy over the last, what, three weeks? I mean, I guess the entire year of 2020 so far <laughs> and i'm recording this on the 26th of january uh, as we get ready for the royal rumble uh, we'll have a full review of the royal rumble and a full review of everything from this weekend with josh lopez from pro wrestling transcriptions.com we'll get him on the program and he and i will discuss the royal rumble emanating from houston texas so a few things i want to tell you that we're going to hear from casey joiner great pro wrestling fan uh, we will talk to him, formerly from ESPN, his thoughts about some of the storylines and some of the uh, business transactions happening in the world of professional wrestling. So we'll hear from Casey in a little bit. <clears throat> also, we will talk about what happened here this weekend. As Again, we record this on the 26th, kind of early, early, early Sunday morning to be able to watch NWA Hard Times and WWE NXT and NXT UK Worlds Collide from Houston. First, let me get to hard times. I am a fan of the NWA product, have been since 1985. And when the NWA decided to go back into business with Billy Corrigan and Dave Lagana, boy, they did a terrific job of capturing the essence of what the NWA is all about, and that's professional wrestling. And I just think that this is a product here that is going to catch fire even more so uh, than it would have so far. They have a pay-per-view coming up in April, the Crockett Cup, the Jim Crockett uh, Senior Memorial Cup. They have uh, done, they did this last year, and they're going to do it again this year. But I watched Hard Times. I really enjoyed the show. And one of the reasons why that I did is because, once again, one of the great things about pro wrestling is that it's not just about who's going to be champion. It's not about who is going to go over, who is getting pushed, who's not getting pushed. What it's about is making stars. Every time that you turn on the cameras, if you're a wrestling company, you want to be able to make stars and see something fresh and see something new to make an audience come back. You want the viewers and the fans to come back to your show, right? Well, watching the NWA, a 
champion and a star was born, and that is Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks defeated Trevor Murdoch in the finals of the NWA World Television Championship. And I think that there's a lot of titles in the NWA for kind of a startup promotion, but they have the direction that they want to go in, obviously. But I'm happy for Ricky Starks because Ricky Starks is showing that he is uh, the star of the future, for this company. He's a television champion. He had a really good run in the uh, finals of the television championship, taking on Trevor Murdoch. Trevor Murdoch, I don't know if he's worked so hard before. He was in three different matches, defeating the question mark, uh, defeated Dan Maff, uh, and also uh, losing to Ricky Starks. So Trevor Murdoch was born, kind of reborn as a wrestler, um, every time you see him, he looks just like Dick Murdoch. That's why he's Trevor Murdoch, because he looks just like, um, facially, what Dick Murdoch looked like. But just to see Trevor Murdoch in there, even though he lost in the finals, a star was born. Uh, Ricky Starks being the television champion, that's a positive. I think the best match on the card was Thunder Rosa defeating Allison Kay for the women's championship. Allison Kay was a very good champion, but Thunder Rosa and Allison Kay stole the show. If you haven't seen this match, you got to go back and watch it. It was a terrific match. It was in the middle of the card, fifth out of ten matches, and they had time to be able to tell a story. Allison Kay was a terrific champion and a great wrestler, but Thunder Rosa is what's next. And so, again, it's not necessarily about the championship. It's about trying to advance and trying to push out more stars. Uh, and so I think that Rosa and Kay stole it. Uh, I It was good to see... Um, Dan Maff in there. Boy, what a big guy that guy is from Ring of Honor defeating uh, Zicky Dice. And I love that character, Zicky Dice. <laughs> you got to see this guy. He's a throwback from the 1980s. Uh, and he, he was great. Uh, I thought that the tag team matchup uh, where Eli Drake and James Storm defeated the Rock and Roll Express, the champions, and the wild cards was good. I don't know if it was great, but it was good. Um, you can just tell because it's Ricky and Robert, they just don't have the same movement, obviously, as they had in the 1980s. Uh, you saw Robert Gibson spend a lot of time on the outside of the ring because I think between Morton and Gibson, Morton definitely still can go. And Gibson is just out there. You know, he's he does not have the, the motor like he once did. But I love... I love seeing the Rock and Roll Express together, even at their advanced age. But Eli Drake and James Storm is are a very interesting tag team, uh, and we'll see where this goes. I just I, I don't know how long they're going to be tag team champions, uh, but it has a little bit of a WWE feel to it because it's like two terrific singles wrestlers become tag team champions. So maybe there's a split there in the future. I don't know. Um, but in, by the way, that match did nothing for Roy Isaacs and Tom Latimer. I want to see more of those two as a legit tag team. Uh, yes, they are part of uh, the Nick Aldis group, but uh, I want to see more of those two as a tag team. Uh, but, you know, again, decent, not great triple threat tag team matchup. And uh, congratulations to Drake and Storm for winning that matchup. And Nick Aldis against Flip Gordon was a great match because it is an interpromotional match. You can see that there is a relationship that is budding between NWA and Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor now all of a sudden has found money, and they're starting to resign some of their talent, which is a positive for the wrestling business. Uh, but to see Flip Gordon in there against Nick Aldis, that was a, a very, very solid match. Um, and Nick Aldis retains the championship, and it's, it's kind of what you expect from Nick Aldis, right? Someone that is great on the mic, 
gives you a great promo and then backs it up in the ring. He might have to cheat a little bit, but that's okay because he's a heel and he wants you to know he's a heel. So Nick Aldis to me is the best world champion going in professional wrestling uh, because he does everything that they the promotion asks him to. If he has to travel internationally, he does. If he has to go to some of these um, indie promotions to try to promote the NWA, he does that. Uh, and so time in a time out, Nick Aldis never disappoints as world heavyweight champion. And so he's the best going right now. So it, it was good to, I think it was a very good card. Um, the Hard Times pay-per-view for the NWA. And I look forward to seeing more. I, I think that they're definitely going in the right direction. They've got characters. They've got some great in-ring action. And the Crockett Cup is coming. So, you know, good for the NWA. The more good wrestling, the better. More of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff when it comes to pro wrestling, right? So that was Friday night with Hard Times from Atlanta, Georgia. What about when worlds collide? Oh my gosh, in Houston, Texas. So as an NWA fan, I enjoyed that show, but I'm a big NXT fan as well, NXT UK. NXT UK is my favorite brand to watch as of late because it just gives you no fluff. It's just promos and great wrestling. And so I'm a big fan of that, and plus it's an hour, so it's easy to consume. So I'm a big NXT UK fan, and so Worlds Collide is was the matchup um, and the show that I really wanted to see. That main event, I got to go there, the Undisputed Era against Imperium. When Imperium is down a man because of the injury that was suffered by Alexander Wolfe, he took a double kick while kneeling in the ring and doubled over immediately and could have been a concussion. Not sure exactly what the, the story is on Alexander Wolf, but he had immediately had to leave the match. So it's four on three. And Imperium, if you had never seen Imperium, you have to see this because they pulled out some things I had never seen before. They showed some grit there. I already knew that the Undisputed Era was great. All four of those guys are great workers. But what with Imperium coming over, now if you're a WWE fan or NXT fan, you're watching NXT UK see more of Imperium because they did some things, wow, against four really talented wrestlers in the Undisputed Era. And knowing that they were going to be shorthanded, Eichner, as well as Bartel and Volter were devastating. So I, I really enjoyed that match. That is, that's now in line for a match of the year candidate. A lot of these matches are because they're so great, but that really was the high point for my weekend, watching that four-on-three matchup, Imperium against the Undisputed Era. That does so much for the NXT UK brand for Imperium to defeat the very popular Undisputed Era. Uh, to see Rhea Ripley against Tony Storm, I thought it was a good match, not great. Uh, Rhea Ripley, to me, still get, captures, um, really captures the imagination and the fans when he, she comes out because she's so le leggy and tall and, and powerful. Tony Storm, because she's beautiful and she's a great wrestler. I just think that the two can have a lot of matches that's even better than what we saw in Houston. That was a good match. Um, uh, Ripley seemed even more dominant than we've seen before, so I, I like the match very much so. Uh, DIY against Mustache Mountain. You know, the match started off very house showish, and what I mean by that is if you ever go to a house show for any company, there's more Gaga uh, in the 
beginning of a match or maybe in the middle of the match and then it gets serious toward the end. I thought it was a lot of gaga at the beginning. Some things that you could see at a house show, non-televised match. Uh, and I thought that DIY Mustache Mountain, though, after a while, in the middle toward the end of that match, they really kicked it into gear. Uh, and that that was a really solid match from the middle to the end for me. And I could see that match, you know, five times, best of five, best of seven. That It was just that good. Very happy for the Irish ace, Jordan Devlin, uh, winning the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Surprised that uh, Angel Garza is no longer champion. He just won the championship. That was very quick. But it just shows you the direction of the NXT brand, UK or NXT, that they really want to push NXT UK stars on here. Jordan Devlin is a not a good wrestler. He's a great wrestler. And what this match did, it pushed Devlin to a different stratosphere, but also it pushed Travis Banks, and it pushed Swerve, and it pushed Angel Garza to a different level as well. So I, I really, really enjoyed that matchup, uh, and I look forward to seeing more of uh, Jordan Devlin on both brands, NXT and NXT UK. And a match that I knew it was going to be great, Finn Balor against uh, Dragunov. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it was the first match, and they could have went 35 minutes, 45 minutes, because I know both of these guys can go. I know that the fans in Houston probably didn't know how good Dragunov was, but after that match, even though it was a loss for Dragunov, it, they probably respect him even more so because he is a wild man. That Russian can move all over that ring. It looks like he is impervious to pain, and, boy, that was a really, really great match uh, to start off NXT Worlds Collide, Finn Balor over Ilya Dragunov. I I'm just a big fan of what Triple H is doing with this brand, uh, with these two brands, actually, with NXT and NXT UK. Before AEW came about, I was still a fan of NXT because it was different than Raw and SmackDown. You could, No one could tell me it's the same show. It might be under the same banner as far as wrestling, but one thing I know for sure about Vince McMahon, Vince does like pro wrestling. He just had to call it sports entertainment because of advertising. He thought that they, he'd get more advertising, even though it's still an arena, it's still a ring, it's still got four corners, and there are wrestlers with tights. It's still pro wrestling. He knows it too. And you can tell that he likes pro wrestling because he allows NXT and NXT UK to exist under his banner. He understands that there's a lot of um, bad skits and there's uh, bad comedy and gaga on the other two shows were on SmackDown for his entertainment, but for Triple H, for him to be able to see a vision of saying, okay, this is what's happening here on the USA Network and Fox. Here's what I'm going to develop here uh, for my Wednesday night show and for the NXT UK show. I am going to make sure that the wrestling fan is satiated with, you know, wrestling, with uh, great action with terrific promos with great storylines that match up and matter and so that's the thing that is uh, great for Triple H and for NXT fans like me I love that show because Triple H has his finger on it it's never keep in mind there are no perfect wrestling shows but one thing for sure is that you are looking at a company here that cares about the wrestling fan hey call me old school but I don't need to laugh all the time, or I don't need to be disgusted on what I'm watching based on bad skits and bad comedy. Just give me the wrestling. 
Just get, make me believe. When I'm watching worlds collide, my, I, my head was so into my iPad, just keeping my eyes on the action, enjoying the action. I had, a, I had so much fun watching it. So that was really great to watch uh, for sure, watching NXT worlds collide. Want to see more action like that uh, moving forward for both brands. It was, it was great. Really enjoyed it. As we record this, the Royal Rumble will be taking place later on tonight uh, in Houston. I have no idea who's going to win the Royal Rumble. I know that you can actually bet on this on uh, several websites <laughs> if you'd care to. The Roman Reigns is the favorite to um, win the Royal Rumble. I, I don't know. I, I'll i just say Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens will win the Royal Rumble. Who knows? I have no idea what's going on in the mind of... Uh, of Vince McMahon, they've pushed King Corbin to the the moon. It wouldn't surprise me if King Corbin is the uh, Royal Rumble winner, also. So I'll just say Kevin Owens, but it wouldn't surprise me if King Corbin becomes the Royal Rumble winner. But again, who knows what's going on uh, with the Royal Rumble? I, I know that even more so than WrestleMania, sometimes there's always this anticipation on what's going to happen to the Royal Rumble because there's so many different. Uh, options that you could pick, like Roman Reigns. Of course, Brock Lesnar is going to be the number one selection. If Lesnar wins the Royal Rumble, then what does that mean, right? AJ Styles, Eric Rowan, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio. There's so many on this list I could say that's not going to win it, more so than who I think is going to win it. Uh, Ricochet, Drew McIntyre, Elias, King Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, Otis Tucker, Rusev, Bobby Lashley, Aleister Black, uh, Raw Tag Team Champion Buddy Murphy. Braun Strowman, Shinsuke Nakamura, who's won it already, um, Seth Rollins, who's a Raw Tag Team Champion, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, R-Truth, Kofi Kingston, Big E, The Miz, John Morrison, who knows? I, there's going to be some surprises, I'm sure. There's got to be some people that we haven't thought of that might win the, might be in the Royal Rumble, but who knows? John Cena, is he coming back? Is Cena making a return? Who knows? I think that the the show with uh, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, against Daniel Bryan for the Universal Championship should be a lot of fun. That's going to be a strap match. Uh, and so that's going to be a really good match up there because Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt will be tied together um, wrist to wrist. So that means the, the Fiend can't run away or Daniel Bryan can't run away. I think that Becky Lynch and Asuka could steal the show, actually, for the Raw Women's Championship. The Falls Count Anywhere match with Roman Reigns and King Corbin should be interesting. Um, but, you know, I thought that Bailey and Lacey Evans had a good match on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago in Greensboro. Let's see whether or not they can be able to replicate that or exceed that uh, coming up uh, tonight for the Royal Rumble. But, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good card. The number one thing you're looking at is who's going to win on the men's side. On the women's side, there's names confirmed on the, for the women's Royal Rumble match. Uh, Charlotte Flair, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, Sarah Logan, Natalia, Carmella, and Dana Brooke. And there's 23 more spots remain based on this uh, recording. So, again, we'll see. I'm actually more interested in the, the men's side and uh, that Universal Championship matchup and Bailey and Lacey Evans. Those are the matchups that stand out to me uh, the most. Speaking of the WWE, Jim Valley always does a great job, a terrific job. Uh, on Wrestling Observer, on his solo show. He always makes some great points on his show. And something that the WWE has to think about for 2020, how can they be able to bring 
more fans back into the arenas on house shows. Now, it doesn't matter what you see on Raw and SmackDown or this show we're going to see here for the Royal Rumble or even Worlds Collide. Well, for the big tentpole events, you see some great crowds. But when it's non-televised, when there's no cameras and you have house shows, where's ha- where, where are the fans? Where, where is the WWE Universe? See, there's one thing about wrestling that's always stood the test of time, and that is you cannot have everybody the same. Even in the WWE, you have to be able to have someone that says, this is the face of the company. If it's Becky Lynch, then how come she's not pushed even more so as a superstar? No matter how big Becky Lynch gets, she'll never be John Cena. She'll never be The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan or Bob Backlund or any of these great superstars that were the face of the company. Vince McMahon wants to make sure that everyone's the same, that the WWE is the Harlem Globetrotters or they're the Ice Capades. Come see the WWE. Well, come see who in the WWE. And I think that that's a disconnect for some fans. Jim Valley with more. Question. In one sentence or less, what is the job of a professional wrestler? Boil it down to its very essence. Is it having exciting matches? Cutting great promos? Taking care of your opponent's body in the ring? Is it the acting and poise to carry a TV segment? No. If you are a professional wrestler, your job is to generate revenue for the company. That's it. Whether you're nobody selling tickets in your early matches to friends and family to get them to come, or you're Chris Jericho, who at 50 years old had the number one store on pro wrestling tees in 2019. He said it during his press conference in Japan. He's a businessman who has performed at an incredibly high level for almost 30 years. Chris Jericho gets it. Chris Jericho makes money. And if you are a professional wrestler, you need to compel total strangers to buy tickets or pay-per-views or network subscriptions to see you win or to see the hero give you what you have got coming to you. And with so many revenue streams, fans can buy your t-shirts, action figures, toothbrushes, or even spend thousands of dollars to join you on a cruise. The Young Bucks are on your network TV each and every Wednesday because they figured that out. They didn't complain. They didn't have a platform or a machine. They built it themselves. And, And before I go any further, let me clarify something. Colby Lopez is probably a really nice guy. He was a kid who dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, and he is living that dream. And if if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would never have predicted that Tyler Black would be having the career that he's having right now, and I respect that. But this is about Seth Rollins. And I don't know if these are real feelings or a company line. He's doing an Andy Kaufman thing or trying to curry favor by repeating the conventional wisdom backstage. It ain't personal. It's business, but business is terrible. For the first time ever in the history of the WWE, house shows are running at a loss. That means WWE does not make money touring. Quite simply, not enough fans are buying tickets to see live events. WWE is spending more on those live events than it brings in. That is unprecedented. This is a business for over 100 years predicated 
on selling tickets. And today, WWE cannot sell tickets. And you know, things are different. You know, if you're a longtime fan, you may remember the WWF would cut promos on TV. That little plastic plane would fly by and Howard Finkel would list the cities where WWE was on tour. Wrestlers would spend hours after the matches cutting localized promos. Talking about their feuds in each city, and, you know, today we don't even get that. Maybe if WWE comes to your town during SmackDown or Raw, you might see, like, a quick video. No card lineup, just an array of stars who may or may not be there. The way people get it out now is social media, the website, and interviews in local media. But the idea is still the same. You talk fans into the building. Babyfaces appeal to fans to support them in his or her fight against evil. And I, and I get it. Seth Rollins cannot do that right now. He's a heel. He's the Monday Night Messiah. Apparently he's a, what is he, a cult leader? Well, if he's a cult leader, then that means he reads people. He deciphers their needs and tells them exactly what they want to hear so he can manipulate them for his own selfish purposes. WWE is coming to San Antonio on this tour, and Seth Rollins did an interview with a local paper there promoting the show. I mean, think about this. This is free advertising. Free advertising to reach fans to compel them to spend money. What does the Monday Night Messiah, that master manipulator, say to get fans in San Antonio to come to the matches? Our audience looks for things to complain about, to dislike and pick apart. Now compare that to Chris Jericho and Tanahashi. They didn't blame fans who were more interested in Naito holding two belts at the end of Wrestle Kingdom. No. They reached for the handle of the forbidden door. And they knew it was never going to open. But the fans didn't. And people were talking about that, maybe more than any other match. Because Tanahashi and Chris Jericho are professionals. Seth Rollins is not even trying to find a door. He's too busy yelling at fans to get out of his damn yard. Matches are important. Seth Rollins has had some excellent matches. But the biggest stars in the history of wrestling are known for promos. They talked fans into buildings. And think about this, just as a comparison. What if we put Seth Rollins into some of those iconic moments? King of the Ring, 1996. Out of nowhere, Seth Rollins wins the tournament and yells to Jake Roberts. Rollins, 316, says, I just blamed your ass. January 1984, Seth Rollins defeats the Iron Sheik for the WWF title and blames the fans that they didn't support him enough and forever known as the birth of Sulkamania. The Attitude Era, Seth is the leader of DX. We've got two words for you, like me. But the best will be in San Antonio. Seth Rollins, the dwindling people's champion, walks down the ring and says, finally, Seth Rollins has come back to fewer paying customers. You see the difference? At the same time, AEW, right now, has sold 10,000 tickets for its March 25th debut at the Prudential Building in New Jersey. Seth Rollins has got to be so confused. He's sitting there going, what insults did AEW use to get those stupid fans to buy so many tickets? Jim Valley knocking it down again from Wrestling Observer.
great stuff from his radio show uh, this past Saturday. Don't forget on Tuesday at 9.30, you can hear live Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the TuneIn app. If you have not downloaded the TuneIn app, you can catch my uh, radio show weeknights on ESPN 1000. The show airs between 7 and 10 p.m. Central Time. And again, you can find that on the TuneIn app and also the ESPN uh, radio app as well. Just uh, hit that live radio link and that way you can be tuned in to my radio show. And again, that's where you can find Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday at 9.30 right there on ESPN 1000. Of course, if you subscribe to the podcast, you get additional content and, of course, what you hear on the radio show for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Let me pick up on my conversation with Casey Joyner, uh, longtime wrestling fan. We talk about a number of things, including Rocky Johnson, the passing of uh, The Rock's father, also AEW and their new television deal, and a lot more. Don't forget to tune in. I'll have Josh Lopez on. We'll talk about what's happening with the Royal Rumble in Houston and, and of course, a crazy weekend of pro wrestling with the NWA Hard Times and the World's Collide show taking place uh, in Houston. All right, here's my conversation with Casey Joyner, uh, the football scientist and also great wrestling fan. Hey, great to be here. Um, I want to get your thoughts. We were talking last week about um, the the passing of Rocky Johnson, and I was mentioning that living in Chicago, of course, I read about Rocky a a ton as a kid in the magazines and did not see him until he actually came to the WWF and wrestled with Tony Atlas to win those tag team champions, the first black tag team champions uh, in that company. What are your memories of, of Rocky as a wrestler? I've got to see him some uh, when he uh, wrestled down south and things. Uh, he, one time he wore, uh, I, I went to a mask wrestler uh, called Sweet Ebony Diamond. I remember seeing him that way. Uh, but he had been actually a huge star. It's funny. Everybody remembers him for that, that run of the Tony Atlas, uh, that historic run. And that was late in 83 to like mid-84. And that was really at the end of his career. His career had ended actually by the end of 1987. So uh, he really was a big star, though late 60s all the way through the 70s and, and so that was more the icing on the cake for his career but the, the great thing about him was that he was he trailblazed in many ways he was obviously a, a, a black wrestler was getting over in, in a lot of times in areas where black wrestlers really didn't get a push and he might have been one of the first people to get a push but he was also a big man and very athletic a lot of big men back in those days they figured you've got to be more of a a ground wrestler that you know you're not supposed to be going in the air he would do triple drop kicks and do flying head scissors a lot of things of that nature and for a guy his size that wasn't something that a lot of them did back then so he uh, he melded a lot of different uh styles and did a lot of things that trailblazed the industry you go back and look at that drop kick kc i mean you think about the great drop kicks in wrestling right so jim brunzel coco ware uh, Okada now in New Japan he has a great drop kick, but Rocky has to be on the list because he gets you in the in the forehead. <laughs> he got all of it when he got at you, didn't he? He did, and, it, and he did. You know, you, you've seen missile drop kicks that you see, but he, he went from go from a standing position and could get. You see some of the still pictures of it. He went from a standing position and he would get. A parallel, he's fully horizontal, and the fact that he could do it, with he put was he would he would give you do it three times in a row, and I think he would do a, a head button and a Boston Crab and do his finisher, but he could get up that way and do it three times in a row, and the third one would be as high or higher than the first two. <laughs> so a lot of times guys would get up there and get tired, 
not Rocky, he gets higher and higher and higher. And it was the kind of high spot, again, for a guy, he's, he's football player caliber size. This is not a smaller guy. This is not one of the high flyers. This is a big guy, and he's challenging the other big guys to say, hey, you can do high-flying moves, too. Most of them didn't take him up on because they didn't have the physical skills. But uh, you know, that's a lot of what he did, I think, was give a lot of uh, a lot of you know, the high-flying capabilities that, like I said, most guys didn't do. Now we wouldn't be so surprised if Brock Lesnar does a, even if he does a big high-flying move once in a match, you know, if he did a big high spot, you go, okay, but, you know, we wouldn't even expect that. But back then, it didn't happen. Casey, I guess we know where um, The Rock got his swagger from because I just got in kind of a, in a wormhole of YouTube videos and just kind of watching Rocky Johnson's promos. And he, he was he was not a, a typical... Um, uh, promo guy for for its time in the 70s and the 80s he just talked straightforward and and had a, a lot of charisma and i could see kind of where rocky got that from because uh watching rocky johnson man he, he was just tremendous on the mic he was i'll tell you an interesting thing uh, uh related to his charisma uh last year uh, jerry briscoe asked me down to uh to a, an event he does down in tampa it says we're, we're a lot of old school wrestlers i get people from the florida territory <laughs> will come and, and hang out. So I go down there, and it's guys like uh, Ron Garvin, and it's it's uh, it, it's Rocky Johnson, a number of people like that. But he's the, the main guy in the room. He is like at the, at the head table in the room, and you could see that everybody was gravitating towards him. That even though at his age and, and all that, and you're talking again, Ron Garvin had been a uh, NWA champion. Buddy Colt was the biggest name in Florida. He was there, there were a number of other people there. But he was, uh, Rock, uh, Rocky Johnson was at the head table, and he was the top guy. But he didn't, it wasn't like he walked in there and expected it. It's the other wrestlers, the rest of that community were like, no, you, you know, you get the lead table, you get the lead spot. They looked up to him in that way. And uh, I, I was very, uh, it was very moving to see him get that kind of push from the, from the rest of the wrestlers. Again, it was not something that he asked for, it was something that that community gave him. Casey Joyner with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. You know, <clears throat> the first time around we saw uh, Vince McMahon with the XFL, this is the time where at the same time, Casey, he's purchased WCW and starting his own football league. This is all in the same time frame, which is crazy for someone to run the WWE, purchase another company that was your rival for so long, and start a football league, but it happened. So now what do you see in 2020? How will the XFL slash the WWE be able to work together now? Well, now you look at it, he's, okay, he's got kind of the same problem. He's, he doesn't, he's not buying another organization, but He's got AEW, which is now you know, going through its own expansion process, but he now has to go fight AEW. He's got declining ratings. Uh, they're, they're not, they're still really good ratings compared to the rest of the industry, really good ratings compared to the rest of cable television. But you've got the cable television decline, and you've got a lot of changes in the way we view media, everybody's going to streaming and a lot of issues of that nature. And now he's got to compete with that, and now he's got the XFL. The XFL is trying to become a something that's, I mean, not something that's never worked. It's a spring league. It's not even a spring league. It's right at the end of the season, actually. So it's going to be basically a winter league, but that's when the season's over. So he's trying to establish football in town that's never yet established. Part of that time, he's going to be going up against the NFL's free agency period. He, you know, you've got, he, he's almost guaranteed, per some reporting by Dave Meltzer, he's almost guaranteed to lose money his first few years of doing this. 
he's got the money to lose because he's already sold, sold a bunch of uh, WB stock to, to finance this. But you're talking a lot of different elements are coming together. And again, he's got an expanded roster of wrestling time that he's got to fill. And now it's like you're going to be able to fill that and fill the WB time. It's only for eight an eight week season, so it's not such you know it's not going to be forever. But for that couple of months there, because WB is going to have to figure out how they're going to move their storylines forward without the expense inputs. Well, okay. Well, okay. A sidebar to this, Casey. Okay, sidebar. When we look at content, and it's not like I'm in the, the deep into the television business to really understand all of this, but are we really here in this era in 2020 so desperate for content that we'll put anything on television? Like the XFL, is there is there a want? There might be a percentage of people that want a spring league, but what? How do you measure success if you only have a small group of people watching? It just you know, it's, it kind of reminds me of what we're seeing with SmackDown. SmackDown, you if if you're able to ask people at Fox. Are they um, happy with the numbers? They might be okay with it, but they expected uh, high threes and fours. They expected to win the night. SmackDown's losing to Hawaii 5-0. So I, I'm just saying that I just think that we're looking at a small sample size of people where people are looking digitally. They're doing other things. They're just not locked into one thing. And I just think that with the XFL, it might be a nice idea, but what? how do you measure success when only a few are watching? I'll give you two things on the XFL. I went down to um, uh, start with the. I went to the uh, what is, what, the American Football, the AAF that they had uh, last year. Right. They had the Orlando team here, and we went to their first game. And this is Steve Spurrier, mind you. This is a guy in Central Florida, and this was a very. If you've had to pick which football, college football team, and every team is represented in Central Florida, it's kind of a mix. But still, this would be a Florida Gator area. It's up in Gainesville. It's only about ninety minutes north of Disney. Point is, though, is that this is Steve Spurrier. Era, area, and then you've got a Steve Spurrier coach team, and this is at that time, hey, we can go see this. Mind you, they had a decent crowd there, but I could tell by looking at the crowd, it was like, this looks like it could be a transient crowd. Like, this crowd is not really into this. They're into this as a, oh, this is kind of interesting. What's this? They're not connected to this team, which you wouldn't expect, obviously, that, you know, in week one, but I, they're right up dropping, and they weren't getting as many people, so you've got to find a way to make a connection with, with fans. And again, in an eight-week season, Fantasy footballers should tell you this. They give up on their fantasy teams after five or six weeks if their team isn't doing well. Can you imagine an eight-week season? You go 0-2, your team's almost out of it. Yeah. You're almost done right there. So there's, there's that with that. And when it comes to ratings, yeah, same thing. They're not, they weren't expecting to see ratings that were going to compete. They're expecting, you know, Fox, you're seeing the ratings on Fox. It's like it's not much better than what was already there. And I can speak from personal experience. I've got a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old son in my house. And mind you, I've been a wrestling fan for years. They've been to the shows. They, you know, they've, they've seen, they've met wrestlers behind the scenes and all that. Neither of them watch any of the shows right now. They're not any interested at all. And I know when my wife and I were growing up, hey, everybody we knew was interested in wrestling in some form or another. So wrestling's got to find a way to, to resonate with, uh, with the younger audience because right now I don't think they're doing it. It's, uh, it's something that the XFL has returned, and uh, we'll see how well this will last here. Um, there's a number of companies behind it from a television standpoint, and we'll see if this is even better uh, than the first time around. 
Um, with AEW, I saw this with AEW on TNT. We talk about con- you know, content, right? So TNT has extended the the deal with um, with AEW, and I think that and we haven't talked about this in a while, Casey. I think that AEW is coming along for a company that's been around 16, 17 weeks, really on television. Has not been bad, but um, I'm surprised at the support so quickly by TNT. Um, I, so they must be happy with the nine hundred thousand that they're getting every week. They, they must, and that's the thing. If they're trying to find a show that they think uh, can draw an eye, I think you have to think from their perspective because uh, Dave Meltzer reports that it was a four-year deal with $175 million in rights, piece of $145 million a year. Uh, okay, that's, that's nearly a million a week. That's a lot of money. I don't care what the company is. That, that's a significant investment. But I think what they must see is the potential for growth down the line because it, I think AEW has a very good sense of what it wants its product to be and I think when you start looking at the audiences between WWE and AEW and this may be a problem for them in some ways because back in the day when, uh, when growing up as wrestling fans back in the day you might be a WWF fan but then you would also be an NWA fan and you could you, know, you would see all these different kinds of wrestling and you could be a fan of a multiple organizations and it's easy to do when they only have one hour programming a week or a couple hours of programming but Today, it seems that when you look at the demographics, there are AEW fans and there are WB fans, and there is some bleed over between them, but to a lot of people, you're either one or the other. It's kind of like being an AFL or an NFL fan way back in the, in the 60s. So when you've got that, that scenario there, I think that if you're TNT, you might be thinking, we've got AEW fans, but eventually we think we can get the WB fans to come over or we can build other fans within this. So I think they're looking as much for where they think the future can be because I don't think you pay four to five million for what they're getting right now. Do you like the product overall? I like the idea of going to, they, they seem to have a better sense of the storylines and I like what uh, I, I like. I like the way Jericho has done things to where he's he's trying to make it seem. They try to make it a little more kayfabe to use that term. They try to make it seem like it's more. Hey, we're actually we're actually playing our characters. Like sometimes in the WWE, I get the sense that they just want the they want the WWE to get over. So they're not really they're not really concerned about how your character gets over. And I think AEW wants the individual characters to get over. And I think long term that works better. It might be tougher for the organization because if you get over as an individual, maybe you go somewhere else. But I think they're working on getting individuals over versus getting a company over. And that uh, that will end up developing stars, I think, in a more consistent fashion. Yeah, I, I can see the direction that they're going. And, and I understand that for today's fan, they're talking about today's fan in 2020, they feel like that this is kind of a race between the two. And I just think that they're both going in different directions that you can tell by the stories. The NXT as you've already told me and uh, that I've already seen, NXT has already been a, a terrific product. Uh, you and I, over the years, have raved about what Triple H has done. You got a chance to talk to Triple H about the old school versus new school effect of that company. So it's it's doing fine. I just think that from AEW standpoint, it's just about being consistent. You have veterans uh, and, a, and a, also a very young roster, very young and very green roster uh, on, on some aspects of it. And I just think that they just have to grow as a company and just figure out who they are. But it's never going to happen overnight. Like a year from now, if they have struggles or if they have problems with their numbers, it's, a, it's an issue. But I think at this point, they're going in the right direction. They are, and it's about building stars. Now, Sam Mustick was a great promoter for years, arguably before Vince McMahon was the greatest promoter in the history of 
pro wrestling, or at least he, he's on the short list, and had the, the biggest territory in the country, most successful territory country in, in St. Louis. And it was a place that everybody around the country wanted to come to. And I'll see a lot of similarities between the way AEW is trying to run things and the way he ran things back in the day. But even he said, and again, this is one of the most successful promoters of all time, he said, if you can create one star, he meant one superstar, a person who can draw audiences, I mean, not, not just build a name that you know, existing wrestlers or existing fans might want, but somebody who could actually draw a new audience. So if you can make one star per year, you're doing a fantastic job. He knew how hard it was to build a star in this business. And AEW, I just like the way they're going about it because... I like the way NXT tries to build stars, and I like the way they try to build their story time, but the main roster in WWE just doesn't spend enough time telling the stories. They just go a little too quickly, and if you go too quickly, you can't give that storyline a chance to resonate with fans. And AEW, they're very good about trying to, to make sure that they uh, get the stories to resonate with fans, and they'll, they'll give a storyline time to you know, either to succeed or fail, and they'll always succeed, but I like the way that they'll do that. And I think a lot of their wrestlers want the chance to do that, too, to say, hey, give us a chance to tell this story over the course of time. Don't just, you know, give up on us very quickly. And then if they continue to do that, I think they'll develop stars more readily. And the other thing is, is if WB has a star and it goes to AEW, I think that's news. AEW right now, it doesn't flip over the other way. So AEW could also benefit from people leaving the WB in a way that WB can't benefit the other way around. It's a, it's a great point. I see a note here about Alex Karras. Alex Karras was a former football player with the Detroit Lions, but also the wrestler wrestled with Dick DeBruiser back in the 60s. He did. Alex Karras was recently named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He didn't get named earlier. His career would have led him to be able to be a Pro Football Hall of Famer, but back in the early 1960s, he and Paul Hornig, another man who uh, he played for the Packers, and Hornig eventually made the Hall of Fame. He played for the Marty Packers. He was a great player, but uh, those two, along with other players in the league, got in trouble for betting on football. They didn't bet on their own against their own team. <clears throat> they might bet on their own team and such, but this was the NFL's way of saving a lot of clean up gambling. So, Karras, for a time, he had he was out of football for a year and he needed to make some money. So, uh, a lot of times back in those days, pro football players would go into the world of pro wrestling even more than they do today. I mean, active wrestlers might do it, like Leo Namalini, who is a Hall of Famer for the 49ers, would go in the off season and, and wrestle and they, you know, they get back into football. But Karras decided to do this, and the way they did it was that uh, Dick the Bruiser, who was a former football player himself and played for the Packers, he went to a bar that Alex Karras owned, and they had a fight, quote-unquote. There was a little work they were trying to set up the fight for, uh, to get people to, hey, these guys are angry with each other, and they're going to, you know, let, let's, let's have them wrestle in the match. Well, <clears throat> a couple things went wrong. One, one of the co-owners said, there was an uncle of the co-owner with Callis, Eric McCarris, he owns this part of another guy, and the uncle of the co-owner doesn't realize that this is a work. He doesn't realize that, hey, this is this is not a real fight. So he takes a pool cue as Karras and, and Bruiser, or Bruiser and actually uh, one of the other people worked for Karras for fighting, and uh, he, he really didn't think there was a, he thought this was a real fight, so he took a pool cue and hit Dick the Bruiser with it, and, and like made Bruiser bleed. Yeah. Bruiser gets so mad, he starts tearing the bar apart. Because he, he's like, this is supposed to be a war. But he's thinking it. He starts tearing things apart. A couple of cops walk by. They see what's happening. They go in to try to subdue Karras. He's so big, they have to get eight cops to go in there to shut him down. He hurts a couple of the cops. He gets charged with assault and things. And so, I mean, it, it should be great. The bad news is, is that, well, two things. One, they didn't get the story on that time to grow. I mean, these kind of mistakes back then, too. They, they fought like five days later. They had a 
uh, an event in the local arena and all that. And they got 10,000 people, which was a good crowd, but I think they expected a full sellout. And Karis couldn't wrestle. They hadn't trained him. <laughs> he goes out there and has this kind of 11, an 11 minute match with, with, uh, with Bruiser. It's a terrible match. The crowd understands entirely. This was totally a work. What are you guys doing? Namalini at least knew how to wrestle. He'd done some, some training, I think. He remember Ernie Glad did him. And there's a lot of guys who would go in there, but Karis didn't do it. He's just like, okay, whatever. He really didn't want that much of it. But he got 30 grand out of the deal for a terrible match. But yeah, he actually had a small connection to the world of professional wrestling for a time. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> it's that's the 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 work backfired. <laughs> that's great. Not, not even a, a, a work shoot. You know, not not even that turn from a work to a work shoot to an actual shoot. Because he's so mad at the guy for for. He, I guess he got cut in his face and he needed like stitches and things. When people are like, you know, it's like, what? I'm sure he's thinking, what are you doing? You just hit me with a pool cue. He's like, yeah. <laughs> And the cops evidently were gonna like crack down on things, and they had to tell them, "I don't know, guys, that it's a, you know, it's a work. You know, we're just doing it for the promotional thing." And then the cops were, you know, we were in on that sort of thing too, because you know they worked the wrestling shows and such, and they would make money off that. But yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, yeah, they didn't know how to do that kind of control back then. They needed to, to fix those sorts of things. And again, train Harris next time, guys. You know, what I mean, put the guy in the ring and get him a little a little training because you don't want to do on the job, especially against Bruisers, who a guy who, you know. He's not going to be able to make anybody look good. He, he was he was one of those brawlers who he could make a fight look good, but man, if you try to get him a wrestling match, it didn't work. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's certainly true. Well, KC, I'm glad you spent some time. I just wanted to catch up with you to start the year, and yeah, I think it's really refreshing for wrestling fans across the country to be able to pick and choose what they would like want to watch because back in back in our day, you had to only watch the territory that uh, was on your television, and now you can be able to watch six, seven, eight different wrestling companies companies at your at your fingertips i agree rick flair said you can never run as fast when somebody's chasing you and right now with this new contract it's clear to the WWE that hey AEW is at least in some way chasing him and gonna you're gonna fight them and i think it's i think it's going to be it should be a golden era for us if the if the organizations will keep stepping their games up if they just don't uh, if they get locked in, a, in, a, in a, into these deals and things, maybe a different story. But I think the competition is just going to sharpen things. It's going to make the WWE work harder and it's going to make uh, AEW work harder. But that's why I hope the WWE gets over this XFL thing pretty quickly because I want them concentrating on wrestling. I don't want them trying to create a second-rate football league that nobody really wants. By the way, you keep saying those nice things about AEW. You're going to be on the uh, the next Jericho cruise next year. You better be careful. He's going to book you. <laughs> He's going to put you on that on that boat with everybody else. Uh, yeah, I, you know, hey, I could go. I'm not that far from Jacksonville. I can go up there and visit too. You know, and they go up to their home, uh, to their home base, and the, and and visit them up there. So yeah, I, I, have to, I might have to jump on one of those cruises too. And uh, you know, she, maybe I can get in a in a, in a, in a work shoot with uh, with Jericho. No, it's a, I don't think we want to see that, Casey. <laughs> thank you as always, my friend. Appreciate it.